Welcome back to the Series 7 Study Guide, the Series 7 Podcast. The Series 7 Study Guide is a full series of audio lessons consisting of 74 lessons which cover over 32 hours of audio instruction. And that full audio course is available at series7podcast.com. In this podcast, we are going to be covering portions of the lessons contained in the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam. We hope you find these lessons valuable. And if you do, go to series7podcast.com and purchase the full bundle of audio lessons. These audio lessons are not intended to be a substitute for your book learning or attending classes. Audio lessons are a supplement. Some people learn audibly. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by attending classes. We recommend that you use all forms of learning available to you. And audio is just one of those. Let me read you some of the reviews we've had for the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide. Haley wrote, Thank you for your glorious podcast. Hi, Franz. I'm studying for the Series 7 while working a full-time, 12-hour-a-day job, have a toddler at home, and another kiddo on the way. As a supplemental tool, as I drive between my meetings in Los Angeles, it's brilliant. I especially love the editorial commentary as it puts everything into perspective. I haven't tried the videos or done any of the quizzes yet, but I'm a big fan so far and just getting started. My test is January 27th. Wish me luck. Any tips or additional feedback you have would be much appreciated. Your biggest fan, Haley. And then Tim wrote, Thank you so much for the podcast. I started out with the free ones and then ordered the package. This week I passed. I studied and read for a few months in between work and listened to your podcast in my commute to work and any time in the car. Two days leading up to the test, I basically stopped working to study full-time. And the day before, got to a hotel room near the testing center and did practice tests all day and night. You state multiple times that your podcasts are not going to get you to pass alone, but I am certain that they blessed me with that extra bit of understanding and reinforcement that helped me pass. And one more, and this will be the last one I read. There's just too many of them. This is from Kevin. Kevin wrote, Hi, Franz. I wanted to say thank you for putting out your podcast. I purchased the Series 7 about a year ago and the 63 four or five months ago. I felt very comfortable going into the Series 7, which your podcast laid a very good foundation for me. The podcast alone would not allow me to pass the exam, as you clearly point out several times in your podcast. But they got me about 70% there and gave me the foundation I needed to pass my exams the first time. As for the Series 63, there's no doubt in my mind that I would have failed without your podcast. I listened to the podcast on my way down to the exams about three hours, and thank goodness I did. I could hear your voice in my head as the questions popped up, which helped me pass the 63 on the first time as well. I am grateful that you took the time to put the podcast out at a very reasonable rate. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Sincerely, Kevin. All right, let's get on to today's lesson. Welcome to the Series 7 Top-Off Exam Audio Lessons. This is lesson number 19, and in this lesson we're going to be covering preferred stocks. 
In the last episode, we talked about common stock, and I pointed out that in the event of a dissolution of a company, the common stockholders stand last in line to receive any assets or cash from the dissolution of a company, and that would be the bankruptcy or the liquidation of a company. All the other creditors stand in front of the common stockholder. The common stockholder is the last in line. In this episode, we're going to be talking about preferred stock. And preferred stock is a little different than common stock because preferred stock has a par value that actually means something. So preferred stock is, just think of the name, preferred has a preference over common stock. Now, there's a lot of different types of preferred stocks out there. There's cumulative preferred. There's non-cumulative preferred. There's convertible preferred. And, and a few others, but we're not going to get into, really, we're not going to get into any more than, than pretty much that. So when a, when a preferred stock is issued, it's issued with a par value. And the par value is the value of that stock in the event of a dissolution before the stockholders or before the common stockholders get anything. So a preferred stockholder would get back 100% of his par value on that stock before the common stockholder would get anything. Now, he may not get back 100%. He may get back whatever is left over after the creditors, which are senior to the preferred stockholder, get first. So it all depends on your hierarchy in the liquidation or dissolution of a company. So we're going to go over some terms, and we're going to basically just define some terms and talk about what those terms mean. Well, when a preferred stock is issued, it's considered a senior security over common. Debt is senior over preferred stock. So the preferred stockholder stands above the common stockholder, but the debt holder stands above the preferred stockholder. So when a preferred stock is issued, it's typically issued at, let's say, $100 par value. And if you look at a preferred stock sheet, it may say preferred stock $100, 10%. And that 10% is the dividend that is paid on a preferred stock. So let's say a stock had a par value of $100 and a, per, and a percentage interest rate or an interest rate of 10%, the holder of that preferred stock would expect to receive $10 per year. That's the dividend rate on the preferred stock. Most dividends on preferred stocks are paid on a semi-annual basis. And remember, in common stocks, most dividends are paid on a quarterly basis. However, that's not a hard and fast rule. Some preferred stocks only pay dividends annually. You need to look at the information for the specific preferred stock to determine how often it pays dividends. Also, some preferred stocks pay dividends on a quarterly basis. There's no hard and fast rule for when dividends are paid on preferred stocks. You will commonly see preferred stocks issued with a par value of $100. I've also seen a lot with par value of $50, and there's some out there with a par value of $25. So the par value is really determined by the issuer when they issue the preferred stock. Preferred stock differs from common stock in the fact that it pays a fixed dividend. The dividend will not rise with the prospects or earnings of the company. It's a fixed dividend. So a 10% preferred stock 
will pay a 10% dividend. It will never pay in a 12 or 13% dividend on the par value. Now, buying a preferred stock on the secondary market, but what I mean by the secondary market is just the market after the stock has been issued. When you initially issue a stock, when a company initially issues a stock, that's called the initial issue of a stock. After that, the stock trades on its own. And whether it's preferred stock or common stock, it's the same thing. The market will determine the value of the stock. So let's take a real simple case. Let's say a company issued $100 preferred stock at 10% interest. And the prospects of the company declined significantly, and the secondary market on that stock, let's say, would drop to $50. Well, you're still getting a 10% dividend on the par value. But if you came in and bought that stock at $50, your effective dividend rate, as long as a company continues to pay the dividend, would be 20%, which would be the same $10 divided by $50, your cost. But when you look at preferred stocks, it will always state the dividend based on the par value, not on the secondary market trading value of the stock. Now, just because a preferred stock has a stated dividend, it does not mean that you will always receive that dividend. The board of directors can choose not to pay the dividend on a preferred stock. That's up to the discretion of the board of directors. And if a company is in financial stress, it may choose not to pay the dividends. This podcast on the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam, is brought to you by insuranceexampodcast.com. In addition to passing the Series 7 exam and the SIE exam, most likely you are going to be required to pass additional examinations in order to present your client with the investment choices most suitable for him. These additional examinations will include the Series 63 exam and the Life Health Insurance exam. The insurance examination is an examination administered by the state in which you plan on selling insurance products. Insurance products can include variable annuities, fixed annuities, whole life insurance, and other insurance products. While each state has a slightly different insurance exam, there is uniformity to these exams, and the life health insurance exam can be studied in your spare time by listening to audio lessons. At insuranceexampodcast.com, they have a series of audio lessons, which is 12 hours in length, and consists of 26 audio lessons and 5 review lessons. Go to insuranceexampodcast.com and sign up to get 5 free lessons to start preparing for your insurance exam. Now... If a company that has preferred stock outstanding chooses not to pay the dividend, it really depends on how the preferred stock was issued to begin with. If the preferred stock has what are called cumulative rights, it means that before the company can continue paying the common stockholder dividends, it must pay back all the cumulative dividends that were due the preferred stock before 
the common stockholders will be able to start receiving dividends again. If it's a non-cumulative stock, that is not the case. But the preferred stockholder must be paid his dividend before common stockholders are paid their dividend. Now, who would be the buyers of preferred stock? Well, quite often it's corporate treasurers. Corporations with excess cash will often buy preferred stock because the dividend is relatively secure. It's not 100% secure, but also because there is what is considered a dividend exclusion. And this dividend exclusion, as the code stands right now, means that corporations can exclude 70% of income derived from dividends from their taxes. So they only have to pay tax on 30% of the dividends. So that's a big incentive to buy preferred stock versus interest-bearing debt because interest-bearing debt does not have the same exclusion. Now this dividend exclusion rate changes from time to time. In 2003 it was 80%. Today as it stands the dividend exclusion rate is 70%. But that can change. This dividend exclusion does not apply to individuals. Individual tax rates vary and the treatment of dividend income with individuals changes from time to time. Now there's two types of dividends that corporations pay. Some dividends are non-qualified dividends. And a non-qualified dividend is usually a dividend from the management of fixed income investments. For instance, money market funds, even though you receive those dividends, they are not considered qualified dividends, so there's no special treatment on the dividends from fixed income type companies that distribute the income to the stockholder. And these would be mutual funds that manage fixed income investments, money market funds, and so forth. Sometimes you will get a dividend and part of it will be considered a qualified dividend and part of it will not be considered a qualified dividend. This is always disclosed in the 1099s that individuals receive from corporations at the end of the year. But the big advantage to corporations that buy preferred stock is that they get a 70% dividend exclusion. So they only pay taxes on 30% of the income from a preferred stock or from a common stock for that matter. But corporations look for security before capital appreciation. So corporations, when they're using corporate cash and they just need a place to park it, they will commonly preferred stock for some of that. Uh, they will also use other investments such as commercial paper and short-term government bills. Now what influences the price of preferred stock? in the secondary market. Primarily, it's going to be interest rate movements. And we're going to get into the whole section of interest rates and interest rate movements in later episodes. But just suffice it to say that if interest rates go up, the secondary market on preferred stocks will go down. Sometimes preferred stocks will be affected by the company's prospects, especially if there's a lot of bad financial news on the company. There may be a fear that dividends will be cut or not paid, and that would drive the price of a preferred stock on the secondary market down. 
Now the opposite is not true. If the company's prospects improve, the dividend rate on a preferred stock very seldom rises above uh, the par value. The secondary value of a preferred stock does not usually rise much above par value, and we'll talk about that now. When preferred stocks are issued, they are usually issued with a call date, not a date that they will buy back the preferred stocks, because all preferred stocks are issued as perpetual preferreds as a general rule. That means they don't have to be called at any time to be bought back. But companies will put a call date in there when they may choose to buy back the preferred stock. So this tends to put a cap on how much a preferred stock will go up in value because the company could always buy back the preferred stock at par after the call date has been passed. Usually when a company issues a preferred stock, it usually has a five-year period when it cannot call back the preferred stock. And the call dates vary by the company that issues the preferred stock. But as a general rule, five years is a good number to think about on a new issue of a preferred stock. After that five years has expired, the company has an option, but not the obligation, to buy back that preferred stock at par. There are some formulas that affect preferred stock in a general rule, and these are formulas that relate primarily to interest rate movements. There's a few yields that you need to understand when you're buying both common stock and preferred stock. And there's the stated yield on a preferred stock, which is the yield on the par value. But very seldom do you end up in the secondary market buying a preferred stock at par value. It could be at a slight premium to par, and it could be at a discount to par. How you calculate your dividend, and this is called the current yield, is the dividend in dollar amount that you can receive from that stock, that common or preferred stock, the formula is the same, divided by the price that you paid for that stock. Or if you're not, if you don't own the stock and you're just looking at it, divided by the market cost of the stock, the market price of the stock. So for instance, if you bought a preferred stock that paid a 10% dividend and you paid, let's say, $90 for that preferred stock, your yield would be $10 divided by $90, which works out to be, and let me grab my calculator here, 11.1%. There's another concept, there's another formula that you can start looking at, and you may be tested on, and that is the theoretical market price that a preferred stock should be trading at. And that formula is simply the annual income divided by the current market yield on equivalent stocks, and that should equal out. The All right, that's the end of the lesson for today. Again, the full lesson and the full series of audio lessons is available at the website series7podcast.com. This podcast on the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam, is brought to you by insuranceexampodcast.com. In addition to passing the Series 7 exam and the SIE exam, most likely you are going to be required to pass additional examinations in order to present your client with the investment choices most suitable for him. These additional examinations will include the Series 63 exam, 
and the Life Health Insurance Exam. The insurance examination is an examination administered by the state in which you plan on selling insurance products. Insurance products can include variable annuities, fixed annuities, whole life insurance, and other insurance products. While each state has a slightly different insurance exam, there is uniformity to these exams, and the Life Health Insurance Exam can be studied in your spare time by listening to audio lessons. At insuranceexampodcast.com, they have a series of audio lessons, which is 12 hours in length, and consists of 26 audio lessons and 5 review lessons. Go to insuranceexampodcast.com and sign up to get 5 free lessons to start preparing for your insurance exam. Best of luck in your studies. And remember, this podcast is sponsored by...